listening to the Island Christian Church of Holbrook podcast. This message is part of the series called Jesus Says. Today's message, given on September 3rd, 2017, is titled Rest for Your Soul. Happy Labor Day. How many of you are having a barbecue? Yeah, when it's raining like that, you're like, I don't know. You know, well, actually, tomorrow's supposed to be a little better than today. And I, I hear it's supposed to clear up towards the, um, you know, the evening hours tonight. But let, let me see a show of hands. How many of you are like, oh, good, we're done with summer. Now we can get on with fall. Let me see those people. Okay. All right. Let me see the people like, no, no, I want, I want summer to continue. I want to keep swimming and, you know, beaching. And, all right. All right. So we're about a mixed group here, you know. Well, we have been doing a uh, series of messages that each one stands on its own, but we've been doing a series called Jesus Says. We've been taking a look at some of the more familiar sayings of Jesus, but taking a look and not just knowing them, but actually what would happen in our life if we really started doing them and following what he says, and how would that affect us? So today we're going to wrap that up, and since it's Labor Day, um, there's really no connection between this message and Labor Day, but, you know, I had to be cute, so what can I say? So, but would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 11? The word labor is in it. That's the connection. Matthew 11, and we're going to start reading at verse 28. And we're just going to read three verses right now, but then we're going to really dig into it. Uh, Jesus said this. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, what's the first word in this passage? Come, okay? When somebody says come, what is that? It is an invitation. Jesus is inviting us to go to him, okay? And, you know, it, it, what he does is he goes, and, and this invitation is special because he says, come to me, okay? And who is invited? Well, everyone, okay? All are invited, and especially those who labor and are heavy laden. Are some of you, like, heavy laden? You don't raise your hand, but some of you, maybe you've got some weights hanging on you, and you're heavy laden. And Jesus says that he will give you rest, okay? Rest sounds good for some of you right about now, doesn't it? And then he goes ahead and he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, okay? And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so he's saying, come, it's an invitation. How many of you like to be invited to something, right? Well, it depends on what it is, right? Sometimes you're like, oh, no, I got to go to that thing. But, you know, for the most part, you know, an invitation is a nice thing. And, but specifically, the invitation is to come to Jesus. And it's to those who are struggling. Now, we think of that in our own context, but let's try to understand the context of the scripture in which it was written here, okay? There was an issue with the people in the religious system of the day that there was a very difficult and complex set of legal code 
that, you know, was added to what God prescribed in the Bible to the Hebrew people of the day. And the religious leaders were making up all these different laws and interpretations and ways of getting the people to be able to follow the law of God. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of like when you have a big government, you know, lots of laws get written. Does that sound like anything going on today? Well, maybe it does. But these, these people, and Jesus had some very strong words to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you are burdening the people down with stuff, and you don't even do it yourself. Okay, And so Jesus, this is the context that which he is talking. He's looking and trying to offer freedom and rest and deliverance to people who are being burdened down by this system that basically makes it impossible for anyone to come to God. Because he is about to, in a little time, he is about to lay his life down for the sins of the world on the cross and show that what he has done will complete the law's that are in place that point to him, and he is offering freedom and rest, okay? Something that kind of happens today. Um, here's a common complaint. Maybe you have heard this or something like it. Um, Tim Keller said this. He says, Christian, this is a common complaint, and he says, how many of you have heard this? Christians pick and choose which parts of the Bible to obey. They ignore lots of Old Testament texts i.e. the ones about eating pork or shellfish. They ignore the ones about wearing garments woven with two kinds of material. And then they go ahead and condemn things like homosexuality. That's really inconsistent. Have you heard people say that? Sure you have. You've heard that all the time. Okay, well, what can you say in response to that? Because, you know, we know that, you know, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully equipped for every good work. But, you know, what do you do? Because, you know, uh, listen, um, I'll be honest. I went out with a friend on Friday, and we had some barbecued pig knuckles. I mean, it, that's better than ribs. I just got to say that. that. If you like ribs, boy, you know, go for the pig knuckles. It was over at the, the German place in Patchog, you know. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I really enjoy my ribs and stuff. And, you know, uh, you know, if somebody said, well, Pastor Bob, you know, you're not supposed to eat uh, pork, you know. Like, well, no, no, no. What, what, what do Christians say to this? So I, what I want to do is I want to kind of give you a little overview of the Old Testament and what Christ did, and you'll see how that passage of offering rest will tie into this. Okay, so the Old Testament describes sacrifices that were offered to atone or to cover for sin so that worshipers could approach a holy God. And so there's rules for ceremonial purity and cleanliness, and you could only approach God if you ate certain kinds of foods and you didn't eat other kinds of foods. You could only approach God if you wore certain clothes and if you didn't touch certain things. Now, some of them might say, wait, why, why was that? Well, what it was to do it was to let everyone know that we all are spiritually unclean and we can't enter God's presence without being purified, okay? So this is setting things up 
for this point in time when Jesus came and to the ultimate fulfillment of this when he went to the cross. So would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7? I want to just look at two verses there because this is something that Christ said. When he came, he said this. He said, um, then are you also without understanding? You see, this is he, what he's doing is he's talking to people who are talking about, you know, well, you're being, come in, you're being impure by something you eat. And, uh, you know, it was all these external things. And Jesus says this. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not into his heart, but into his stomach and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods. What's the next word? Clean. I mean, this is just a basic anatomy lesson that Jesus is using here. But he's basically saying, he goes, listen, you're not defiled by what you eat. Now, certainly, from a medical standpoint, there's some foods that are better to eat than others, and probably pig's knuckles are not high on the good list. But um, we, we'll leave that for another day. But listen, Jesus also ignored other Old Testament cleanliness laws. I mean, he touched lepers. He touched dead bodies. That was against the law. So what the heck is Jesus doing here? Well, he's setting things up. And when he died on the cross, do you remember what happened to the temple? What happened in the temple when he died? The veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And that could have only been done by God, okay? The, the temple curtain was not just, you know, a little curtain like that, but it was this really thick thing. And it was showing the division between a holy God and an unholy uh, sinful people. And that got torn showing, that there, torn, showing there is now access there. And so Jesus, actually what he did was he showed the need, he, he did away with the need for the entire sacrificial system anymore. Why? Well, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin, and he makes everyone who trusts in him clean so that we can approach a holy God. We don't have to follow this system of all these rules that were laid down in the law. And, and quite frankly, just as an aside, a lot of you know, people say, why, why did God have that one particular law? Do you realize that God kept his people alive? Okay, the Hebrew people were a much healthier people than their neighbors because, you know, like the, the one example I use, um, uh, pork. Why were they not supposed to eat pork? Okay, well, there was a disease that he didn't say, don't eat pork because there's trichinosis, that if you undercook the pork, there's this bacteria that can go and get you and make you sick or you can die from it. No, he just said, stay away from the pig. That's it. Stay away from it. He didn't prescribe why, but he was actually graciously keeping his people alive. Whereas the neighbors that had the stuff, they would get sick and die from it. And there are lots of examples of that, you know, where there is a medical reason behind the law, and now we know how to cook pork properly. So I, I, I don't know, has anyone heard of anyone dying of trichinosis lately? I, I don't think so. I sure haven't. So anyway, but listen, so Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He makes us clean, and so the Old Testament ceremonial laws were fulfilled. And it would be, you know, you talk about how people say, well, Christians are inconsistent. Well, quite frankly, it would be really inconsistent if we still followed those ceremonial laws. 
because they're for no good anymore. Jesus fulfilled them. However, there's another type of law in the Old Testament, and that's called the moral law. And the moral law is still binding. It is still in force. You see, the coming of Christ changed how we worship, but it shouldn't change how we live. Okay? The moral law outlines God's character. And does God change? No, he doesn't. God is unchanging. It's great that he's unchanging. And so everything about loving our neighbor, everything about caring for the poor, everything about generosity with possessions, everything about social relationships, everything about commitment to family, that's part of God's moral law, and those things are still in force. Okay, the New Testament still forbids killing or committing adultery, and the sexual ethics of the Old Testament is restated in the New Testament. Okay, so, so that's, that's a difference right there. The ceremonial and the cleanliness laws, which are showing, you know, a way to be atoned or made right with, Jesus fulfilled. So those are no longer enforced, but the moral laws are still enforced. And there's another change, too, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, sins continue to be sins, but the penalty for sins change. You see, in the Old Testament, sins like adultery or incest were, parent, were punishable with civil sanctions like execution. Well, why was that? Well, that was because God's people, Israel, was a nation state. So all sins had civil penalties. It wasn't, it wasn't any separation. They were a nation, they were a state, but they were also a religious people. But now in the New Testament, the people of God are an assembly of churches all over the world. And we, each country, you know, each church in a country lives under a different, many different governments. The church is not a civil government, praise the Lord. And so it deals with sins in a different way. We do not have the civil uh, rights to punish in certain ways. That is up to the governments there. And so how in the New Testament is sin dealt with? Primarily by exhortation, by telling people Listen, you know, this, you know, this is sinful, it's bad for you, you know, brother, friend, person. I hope, you know, that you will repent from this. And then at worst, if someone, if a believer persists in sin, um, there's exclusion from membership, excommunication, Matthew 18. So it, we deal with the punishment of sin differently now than we did, than the people did in the Old Testament. And ultimately, who's the one who punishes sin? God does. You know, uh, justice is mine, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So listen, Jesus closed the book on a lot of stuff, and I'm really, really glad we don't have to do a lot of that stuff, because I am not a, uh, you know, well, you can ask my wife, but, you know, I am not a type of person that likes to follow, you know, all these procedures and stuff like that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so glad that it's only by Jesus and his death and resurrection that we can approach a holy God. So listen, somebody even said this. Here's a good retort if somebody asked you, you know, like, well, why do you follow some parts of the Bible but not the others? Here's what you could say. Um, You could say, if I believe Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, I can't 
follow all the laws of diet and practice, and I can't offer animal sacrifices. All that would be to deny the power of Christ's death on the cross. So those who believe in Christ must follow some parts of the Old Testament, but not others. Isn't that great? I really like that because, you know, that's a common complaint that people have right now against Christians. And so I hope perhaps that might be something that sort of framed that and that might give you a tool in how to deal with this. Well, anyway, listen. So we're talking about rest. And so do you see how Jesus is saying you can have rest from all that other stuff? He hadn't fulfilled it yet because he hadn't gone to the cross, but he knew it was coming. Okay? So what is Jesus' alternative to those who labor and are burdened? Okay? So what does he say? You know, go, let's go back to the first passage uh, in, in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. Okay, now yokes are not something that we see much anymore, but what is a yoke? Okay, in order to, you know, they used uh, real horsepower or animal power then. It wasn't like, you know, I got my 350. You know, it wasn't that. They had a one horsepower or maybe a two horsepower, and the way they turned a one horsepower into two horsepower was they had a yoke, and they would, it was this wooden thing that they would put over the neck or over the withers of each animal, or they would use oxen, and sometimes they needed four horsepower, so they would have, you know, a team, and it was the yoke that would keep the animals from pulling in the same direction. Because I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, Ann, but if an animal is not yoked, he's just going to go where he wants to go. Is that true? Relatively true. Okay. So the yoke would keep them moving in the same direction. So you know, but why is this necessary? Well, a yoke is to accomplish some labor. A yoke is to accomplish a task. And now, some of you might be saying, wait a minute. You're saying, Jesus, you're going to give me rest, and you want me to take on a yoke? How could a yoke be restful? Well, a couple things about it. Saying to take Jesus and when we take Jesus' yoke, we partner with Jesus, or actually, more importantly, Jesus partners and guides us so that we don't fall into the ditch, so that we don't go into a place that maybe we shouldn't go. You see, you follow him. It's not your yoke anymore, okay? His yoke is not thrust on you. He's not saying, he's saying, take my yoke upon you. Do you see Jesus is giving us, essentially, he's saying, you, you need to do this, but you've got to be the one to do it. I'm not going to force my yoke upon you. You have to willingly come to me. He asks us to willingly take his yoke upon us. Now, what practically does that look like? Well, it starts with willing obedience. You know, when God says something, as we've seen, even... In the Old Testament, oftentimes, that was for the very good of the people. And sometimes God asks us things that, you know, go against our grain, right? You know what I'm talking about? Sure. And yet, God cares for us. Okay, we might not understand why God is telling us to yoke and to go in this direction at the time. But that doesn't give us the right to just go, oh, okay, well, I've got the yoke on, but I'm just going to sit down or lay down. No. We have to willingly follow him. We have to willingly obey him. And that's actually 
There's a term that's been in Christianity for a long time called discipleship. That's what discipleship, being a disciple is a follower. Being a disciple is saying, I am going to willingly yoke myself with Jesus. And where he goes, I'll follow. If he heads to the left, I'll follow him. If he stops, I'll stop, whatever. And that's what that's all about. So Jesus is saying, first of all, the alternative to those who labor and are burdened is to take his yoke willingly, okay? Okay, the second thing in there is it says, I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Augustine said this. This is a famous quote from Augustine. He said, Lord, thou made us for thyself. And we can find no rest till we find rest in thee. You see the difference? The true rest comes in Jesus, okay? And it's not rest as in, oh, great, we don't have to do anything now. I mean, you know, we have a saying sometimes around our household. It's like, what are the kids doing? It's like, oh, the kids are inert right now, you know. What is inert? right? Inert doesn't do anything, you know, and it's okay, you know, I love them, it's okay to rest sometimes, but, you know, there, there comes a time to do things too, and so rest is not just doing nothing, but instead, the rest that Jesus is talking about here is leaving our old life and the things we did in our old life and joining in the cause of Christ, okay? It's rest for our souls, or as I like to say, it's soul rest, When our souls rest, that is a wonderful place. Because, listen, we don't have to know all the answers. All I have to know, okay, I'm yoked with Jesus. Am I doing what Jesus, am I following Jesus right now? That's a great place to be. That is a great place to be. And then the third thing about the alternative, look at what he says also in in, in that uh, Matthew passage. He says, my yoke is hard, and my burden is rough. Is that what it says? Not at all. It says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is life, is light. Okay? Now, listen, if I were to say, so that means you're never going to have any problems in this Christian life, you would look at me and go, you haven't lived long enough, Pastor, because that's not what it's saying at all. No. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I, Jesus, he's speaking, I have overcome the world. And so we're going to have trouble. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. What exactly does that mean? You see, I think what this passage is really talking about, it's talking about salvation. Okay? Because remember, the, the religious people were telling the people, you got to do this, not do this, you got to do all this, and maybe you can be right with God if it all works out. In fact, That's the kind of religion that is being taught in a lot of places today that are not true churches, okay? There's a lot of bad teaching going on, okay? We rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. That is it. When we yoke with Jesus, that's what we're resting on. That's why he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because Jesus did the hard work. He was fully obedient to God while on this earth. He never sinned once. He willingly 
went through this horrible torture and ultimate execution on a cross so that the payment for all our sins who trust in him could be put upon, the penalty could be put upon him. He made the payment. God said the payment was complete when he resurrected Jesus from the dead. And so that is why Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because ultimately, can anyone save themselves? Uh Uh-uh. It required a savior. And that's what Jesus did. So he did Uh, excuse me to say it this way, but he did the heavy lifting, okay? And so that's when our soul really comes to rest because now I'm no longer running in guilt and in shame. Oh, yeah, I still struggle with stuff. That's a process. It takes time. You know, you're justified instantly when you trust in Christ, but it takes time for that justification to really make a difference and start to play out. And we, we get in trouble when we mix those two things up, too. Justification and sanctification are two parts of salvation, but they're different parts. Okay, so Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. True rest is only found in the completed work of Christ on the cross. That's my takeaway for today. True rest is only found in the completed work of Christ on the cross. So I have a question for you. Remember, we started this passage with an invitation. What's the invitation? Come. Have you responded to Jesus' invitation? You see, while we don't have the complex, legalistic, religious, and social system today, I would think, and I think I'm pretty accurate in this, I think we have other things that are a heavy burden for us, that probably we could use rest from. You know, just living where we live, isn't there always a big comparison with others? Oh, they've got a better apartment than me, or oh, their house is so much nicer. The comparison, that is a heavy burden to keep up appearances, isn't it? Sure is. How about jobs? Oh. My job, if I only had his job. Well, guess what? His job has probably problems too. You just don't know it, okay? Or how about our schedules? Trying to keep up the fast-paced life that either we make it for ourselves or we think it's expected of us. Or just how about stuff, right? I mean, we're trying to get rid of some of our stuff because we just got so much stuff. And, you know, it's like, Do we really need all that? You know, I think we burden ourselves the way suburban America lives with burdens that are too heavy for us to carry. And you know what? I don't think God wants us to carry those burdens. We can come to him for rest. So what do you personally need rest from? Have you come to Jesus fully? Or maybe are you still holding on to something? And that thing is exhausting you. And it might even be preventing you from fully obeying Jesus. I don't want to tell you what that is because I, quite frankly, don't know what that is in your life. But maybe some of you are thinking of something right now. Maybe something's popping in. Let's trust that's God the Holy Spirit revealing something to you right now that perhaps you need to deal with. You need to take off 
that thing that is yoking you and you need to put it aside and you need to trade in that burdensome yoke and put on the yoke with Jesus and join his team. That could be you. This is what I'd like you to do today. Real simple. Come to Jesus and trade your yoke for his. That's it. Come to Jesus. Maybe some of you never came and trusted in him, or maybe you think you did, and you're like, wow, I'm not sure I have. This could be your day. You come to Jesus. Say, I'm sick and tired of trying to do it my way, and I want to trust in the completed work of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to do it. Because true rest is only found in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Think about how our lives could be different if we really got this. Think about it. I'll bet our lives could be really different if we fully grasped this, if we could rest fully in his work on the cross, and if we traded in our yoke for Jesus' work and then joined him fully devoted to follow him in whatever next pursuit he calls us to. What about that? I don't know. That gets me excited. I don't know if it gets you excited, but it gets me excited. So the next step for some of you might be to take the first step towards Jesus and to enter into a relationship with him. And if that's you, I would like to talk with you right after the service ends so that we can talk. You can tell me your story, and I can tell you Jesus' story about how you can do that. But, you know, today we're also going to celebrate one of the best expressions of Jesus' completed work on the cross. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a minute. 